Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And that's on page 1057, if you're looking at one of the Pew Bibles. 1057. And this is Paul giving instruction to Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, we welcome you. And it's an encouragement to us that you're here. And we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Hope you did have a good Thanksgiving weekend. Hope our life is full of thanksgiving and gratitude and contentment every day of our life. And that we find God's will, uh, whether it's the best of days or the worst of days. We have a lot to be thankful for. If you were here Wednesday evening, our deacons led our service and it was tremendous. We appreciate Derek Hyde, very, very talented man and delivered a very strong and beautiful lesson on Thanksgiving. We appreciate uh, Tony Torres and Carrie Smith for leading singing and other deacons that participated in readings and prayers. It's truly uh, good to be together, but it's good to be reminded of how blessed we are to have such strong and capable deacons that work all year around and lead so many ministries. And we're thankful for you. Uh, thinking about leadership and raising up leadership, we want to remind our sixth through eighth grade boys, your parents, grandparents, uh, the young Soldiers Serving Christ program will begin for this year, this afternoon at 4.30 in the 2030 building. So if you have a sixth through eighth grade young man, uh, the young soldiers will begin at 4.30 at the 2030 building. So please remember that. All the other programs related to that will begin in January. Also reaching out to the community, uh, just simply being a good neighbor. The parade passes right in front of our church building. If you'd like to be a part of serving hot chocolate uh, to our neighbors uh, during the parade, you can be here at 4.30 on December the 7th. You can sign up. There'll be a sign-up sheet at the information center. And that is always just one of the great, great uh, events to participate in. It's just neat to be able to visit with so many of our neighbors. And uh, just to be able through our actions to say a good word for the Lord. And so if you want to participate in that, be sure and sign up. It really is a blessing. It's been said that the average American through hearing and sight takes in 3,000 advertisements a day. Now, when you think of billboards and magazines and radio and television, but then you also think about logos on people's shirts you think about on semi-trucks, on taxi cabs, signage on, on streets and attached to buildings. 
It is amazing how much your mind takes in every day. No wonder marketing has become huge. And we make a mistake when we think that we need to be the kings of marketing to be able to live the Christian life. It is true that we have something wonderful, if you want to say, to sell. But what we have to sell is not consumer-driven. What we have to sell is the Lord's, and it's absolute, and it stays the same. And so we don't lick our finger and then put it up to see which way the wind is blowing to say, what do the consumers want today? But instead we have one, the almighty God that we stand with. We have his word that we stand on and beside, and that is what we proclaim. And that is what we must do to the very end. We've been thinking throughout the year of soul focus, and I want you to think about the very fact is your soul enduring the Lord never passes out rewards based on who has begun the Christian walk. He never passes out the reward based upon when you got off to a fiery start. The Lord always rewards only, only those who finish endurance. Satan is good at marketing. As a matter of fact, it seems that as long as the church has been in existence, we read about that in Acts the second chapter when she was established. Satan has been doing a very good job of literally marketing to the church. And what Satan loves to market is Satan loves to market worldliness and false teaching. Isn't it sad when a congregation begins to take on the culture or the atmosphere of worldliness. And oftentimes when that happens, then the teaching will start to change because the teaching has to be changed if the idea of worldliness is going to be accepted. And so what we used to call wrong because we preach the holy word of God, now we're going to change the word of God so that we can take that which is wrong and make it sound right. And you and I have to decide where we're going to stand. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, as already capably read, the first five verses and he has lived his life and he knows that very soon he will die. And what he is thankful for is that he has endured. He is truly thankful for that. I hope this morning that you can be thankful that you have endured this part of your life, if in fact you have. But yet then he makes the plea to Timothy. Timothy, you need to endure. But then he makes the plea in what he is to preach to the church because Paul knows that he's going to die. Timothy's going to live longer than him. What is going to be preached? And he urged Timothy to preach that gospel of endurance. This month, the goal is to preach out of every verse of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, as we think about the soul focus this month is faithful souls. We're ending the year-long emphasis where every month has been a different emphasis on soul focus and the last month of the year is faithful souls. Friends, it doesn't matter if we've gotten everything else we've studied this year right at times in our life. What matters is, did we get it right to the end? 
The Lord is not encouraging us to get on fire for the moment. He's encouraging us to be on fire for a lifetime. To not be half-hearted, but whole-hearted. Not to live it for half of our life, but for all of our life. And so Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy the 4th, in, second, in the book of 2 Timothy, and we see a lot of writings about the need to have faithful teaching, the need to stand with the truth. In other words, don't go with the false teaching. Do not go with the worldliness. And so what does he say? I'd like for you to notice the first three words again of this text. The first three words, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you. It's very personal, isn't it? First, the personal pronoun, I, and then the word you. I, Paul, charge you, Timothy. When you look back in your Bible, if you flip over just to the first chapter, you see there in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and in verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. And that's not unusual the way he talks to Timothy. He loves Timothy dearly. He said he had no one else quite exactly as much like him as Timothy. Paul loved Timothy. And so when he said, I charge you, there's a close relationship here. And so what's the motivation to endure? Here is a man that loved this young man very much and he wanted what was best and right for him. So he says, I charge you in this. Here's a young man who loved Paul very much. It's going to be meaningful him that Paul says, I charge you. What's charge? Charge is the idea of to testify, to verify. In other words, he's saying, just like if, if, if you saw an accident and someone came up to you and said, can you serve as a witness for this? Can you testify that A, B, and C happened in this accident? You say, absolutely I can. I saw that. I can testify to that. I know it to be a fact. Paul says, Timothy, I want to charge you. I want to testify to you. But wait, that's not enough authority. If you and I are going to finish, if we're going to make it to the end, it's not going to be because some other human being says, hey, I think this is a great idea. I'd like for you to notice the very next line. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now that is motivation. Paul is charging Timothy and saying, I'm doing this. I'm giving you this charge before God. Timothy, you are living your life in sight of God. You are in God's vision and not just God, the Godhead. Also, the Lord, that's the word for master. Timothy, you are the servant. You're living your life before the Lord Jesus. That's that great God that became flesh and he grew up in Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. You know him, Timothy. Lord Jesus Christ. He is the glorified one. He is the Messiah. You are living your life before the Lord Jesus Christ. I charge you. I love you. I want you to get what I'm testifying to you. You are doing this. I'm giving you this testimony before God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's the big deal about that? He's going to judge you, Timothy. Everybody you preach to, he's going to judge them. In other words, if Paul were, were speaking to me today, and he is through the word, he would say, David, you're preaching this morning. Keep in mind, God is in the audience 
The one who has set the standard, the one who has given the truth, he's watching and keep in mind, he's going to judge you. But he's also going to judge everybody that you're preaching to. Do we understand that? And if we do, then we have great motive to endure. Every time I preach, every time you and I study the Word of God, we ought to have a great motivation to realize I'm studying the Holy Word of God literally before God. He's going to judge me. He's going to judge me in the very way I study it. He's going to judge me in the way that I live it out. Well, what, what do you want me to do, Paul? And he would tell Timothy in verse 2, very simple. Notice this complete sentence as verse 2 begins. Preach the word. That's the entire sentence. Preach the word. I'm going to testify to you. I love you, Timothy. But I want you to know there's something much more important than that. I stand before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to judge the living and the dead. What do you want me to do? Preach, herald, proclaim. Preach what? The Word. The Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God must be our authority. Please get this. The Word of God must be the centerpiece of everything that we are and that we do. If the Word of God ever ceases to be the centerpiece of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, we will have left what God created us to be. It would be the saddest day of the existence of this congregation. Everything that comes up, everybody, not just the eldership, not just the ministers or teachers, everybody ought to be saying, well, what's the Word of God say? Everything that's decided, everything that's done, we ought to be saying, what's the Word of God say? Because we realize that we're living, we're visible before God, and we are to be submissive to Him in everything. His Word must be exalted, so much so that Paul would simply say it this way, preach the Word. The Word of God ought to be the centerpiece of every ministry here. It doesn't matter if, the, if the, the ministry is teaching Bible class or it's security or if it's transportation or if it's mission work. It doesn't matter what it is. If the Word of God is not being obeyed and kept in every work, we failed. The Word of God ought to be the centerpiece of every family here. Now, you have to be my age or older. But do you remember back in the days where families would have a big family Bible? And you remember how almost anybody that went to church would have a coffee table with a big family Bible on the coffee table in the middle of the living room. The sad thing is a lot of those families didn't read it. But geographically, It was in the center of their home. I'm not suggesting to you that for us to be righteous, what we need every family to do is go out and buy a coffee table and buy a big Bible and sit in the middle of it. But geographically, if we were going to speak about spiritually, that's exactly what we ought to be doing.
The Word of God ought to be in the center of every one of our marriages. The Word of God ought to be in the center of every one of our parent-child relationships. Everything that we talk about, it ought to be, what does the Word of God say? Because that's all that matters. That's what's powerful. That's what's beautiful. That's what's bountiful in blessings. That's what's rich in counsel. That will get us everywhere we need to be and away from everything we don't need to be involved in. Not just a family. What if an individual? What if every individual in this room right now said, the word of God is going to be the centerpiece of my life. What I do tomorrow at work is going to be because the word of God has spoken on it. What I do not do will because the word of God has spoken and said not to. The way I do or do not conduct myself around friends tomorrow is going to be because of the word of God. What if our integrity was a mirror of the word of God? What if our lips was, was a mirror of the word of God? What if every individual here had the Word of God as the centerpiece of their life? What if every family had the Word of God as the centerpiece in their life? What if every ministry here had the Word of God as the centerpiece in their life? What if this entire congregation, collectively and individually, had the Word of God as the centerpiece? That's what Paul is trying to get Timothy to see here. He knows he doesn't have much longer to live. He knows that what he's thankful for is that he has endured. And what he wants Timothy to do is to endure. And what he wants the congregation at Ephesus, which Timothy is working there at the time that he's writing this, what he wants the church at Ephesus to do is endure. What he wants the Lord's kingdom to do is to endure. And you can't endure. You can't. If the word of God isn't the centerpiece of your life. Do you remember back in Nehemiah? Drop back quickly, if you will, Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. Remember, Judah is now, after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, they've gone back for several years previous to this, and they've started building back Jerusalem. They started building back the temple. But several years later, they still hadn't built back the wall. And so Nehemiah goes back and he builds back the wall. And when he does this, he finds out just really how ungodly the people still are. And so he has Ezra to bring the law and they build a wooden platform. Think about this. They build this wooden platform just so they can stand on it and read the holy word of God to the people. And Ezra stands up and he begins reading and the people stand up out of respect and they read from, from morning to midday and everyone's standing there. But keep in mind, they had totally forgotten the law so it was hard for them to understand. And so in verse six, it says, and Ezra blessed the people and the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen. That, the word amen means so be it. And so they're hearing the word of God and they hadn't totally forgotten the word of God. So they're learning this afresh and they're hearing it and they're saying, amen, amen. Now notice, notice their position here. They're lifting up their hands toward God, but they're bowing their heads and they're worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. We talk about posture as we pray sometimes, but think about the very posture as the word of God was being read. They had a reaction to it because they were hearing something that only generations before them had understood. They had totally been separate from the powerful word of God. They're reaching toward heaven. They're putting their face toward the ground. They're worshiping God. Later 
on in this chapter, they're going to cry because they realize how their life hasn't had God as the centerpiece and his word as the centerpiece of their life. And so there's 13 names in verse seven that concludes with the Levites and notice what they did. Helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. Now I want you to notice three things here. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. They read distinctly. It breaks my heart that across America today, there will be pulpits where if you interviewed people after the sermon was over and you said, hey, what text of scripture did you study today? They say, I, I, I don't know. I don't remember if we had any scripture today. You can't distinctly read the word of God in a sermon when the word of God isn't read. We have a problem when elderships allow something other than preaching and worship. When Christians will fellowship with a church where there's something other than preaching the word of God in a worship service. They didn't stand up and Ezra say, let me give you a poem and three illustrations and make you feel good and a story that touches your heart. He read the holy word of God that condemned them left and right and they cried. They reached up to heaven because they were desperate. They bowed their head because they realized how big of sinners they were. That's what the word of God does. It doesn't leave us feeling good about ourselves most of the time. Instead, it makes us realize how desperately we need grace, how much we need mercy, and how much growing we have to do to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And when they heard this distinct reading of the Word of God, what they did was gave sense to it. See there? They gave sense. In other words, they said, let me tell you how this Word of God would apply lived out in your life. We call that today application. Let me tell you how you can apply this when you go out this afternoon. Let me tell you how you can apply this when, when you go to work tomorrow or to a ball game this afternoon. And then notice the last thing they said was they had understanding. The people were literally preached to. They were taught from the word of God, how to apply it, how to understand it so they could walk away knowing the word of God. We don't have it on the screen, but if you have your Bible open, look at the last sentence in verse 10, still in Nehemiah 8. You sing this often. Do you know the context of what you sing? Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we sing about the joy of the Lord being our strength, do you realize where that's coming from? These people were so sad. They're lifting up their hands. They're bowing their head. They're crying. And he says, wait a minute. This is really beautiful because your heart's broken. You're learning the truth. You're willing to turn to God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Find joy in the holy word of God. Find joy when your heart is broken and you want to serve the Lord. Find joy when you're willing to learn the word, when you're willing to apply it to your life, when you're willing to understand it and go out and live it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Finally, this morning, Still on this same point, but we'll conclude. I'd like for you to look at 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 
We're going to come back tonight and we're going to finish the same text that we're working on on 1 Timothy, the fourth, uh, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. But when we think about preaching the word, I want to remind you that when Paul came into Corinth, he'd been on a tough journey. And I know that's easy for you and I to say, but if we would try to visualize that, you imagine he went into Thessalonica and he had to leave there because they were about to kill him. Let that sink in. You had to leave town this weekend. Why? Because you wanted to go visit some family and eat all the food you could eat. It's a big difference in it. Why did you have to leave town? They were trying to kill me. That's why I had to leave town. So he goes down to Berea and he preaches there. He had to leave Berea. Why? Because they came in and tried to kill him again. So he goes into Athens and he preaches. And what do we like? We would like for people to say, oh, that was great. Great sermon. They didn't. They mocked him when he preached. And so now he comes to this huge worldly city of Corinth. You can understand why he would say, I'm afraid. I'm trembling. I've been to smaller cities recently and they treated me really bad. And now I'm about to go into this city. What are they going to do to me? Well, see, he has to make a decision. What, he, what is he going to preach? What is he going to say? Notice the second chapter, verse one. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Talking about human wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Brethren, that's what we must preach, that's what we must live, and that's how we must accept it. I don't want something that's shined up with human wisdom. Don't try to give me some excellent speech. Give me Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Give me the power of God. This same man would say the book previous to this one, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul's urging Timothy. You have to stay with it. God and the Lord Jesus Christ is visible. They're watching. What do you want me to do? And Paul would say, I want you to herald. I want you to proclaim the Word. The holy, living Word of God. It always challenges. It'll always make us better. It will always help us to see the love of God. It'll always help us to be wise. This morning, I hope we can all leave here saying, give me God, give me His Word, or I don't want it. Where do you stand right now? Do you stand with the Lord 
Are you on the Lord's side? Or are you standing with his word? I hope you'll come back tonight because the very next phrase that we'll look at in this text is awesome. And that phrase is to be ready. We usually concentrate on the rest of it, in season and out of season. But the next phrase is be ready. If you're not ready this morning, why not? The Lord has done everything that he can do. And now the choice is yours. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. If you're ready to come back, confess sin, let's pray forgiveness, but let's all, let's all be ready today. Let's begin, let's endure, and let's finish. Faithful soul.